You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome, welcome, welcome to Fired Up, right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve. I host the show each week as we talk about the mechanics of the political system here in the United States. Thank you, everyone, for joining in. We appreciate your ears and your minds being open and receptive. So we've come to the end of it. We're going to talk today about the impeachment trial and some of the things that we learned and did not learn and may never learn, but we're going to talk about it anyway. But before we get into that, let's, of course, update you on where we are here in the U.S. with our battle against the coronavirus, COVID-19. As of This morning, there are 27.6 million cases here in the U.S. with 485,000 people who have died from the disease. Uh, It's likely we're going to see, you know, 500,000 or half a million people probably by the end of the month, uh, if not sooner. Uh, As far as the vaccination progress goes, uh, we have 53 million people who have been vaccinated with one of the three vaccines now out and offered to the public. And we continue to grow that uh, by a a good percentage each each week. So that's progress and we're thankful and happy about the progress being made. Of course, as we always say, that still does not stop us from the need to do what the doctors and the scientists and the medical professionals are telling us that we need to wear our masks when we're out in public or when we're in groups and you know social distancing is not possible uh, we do need to social distance when we're in groups and try and avoid you know really large groups uh, and of course we need to practice all the necessary hygiene hand washing uh, not touching our, our eyes nose or face uh, and just basically following good common sense principles so you know a- as we look at the coronavirus as we do here on the show each week one of the things that is making its way out in the news right now is that we are in fact seeing a decline in not only the number of cases reported uh, you know day by day uh, we have come down from where we were a couple of weeks ago with you know nearly 4,000 or in some cases more than 4,000 people uh, getting the disease, you know, in, in a single day here in the U.S., uh, and the death rate has also correspondingly come down. Now, you know, the progress is not huge, but it is significant, and it is definitely trending downward. So, you know, keep up the good work, America. We're doing what we need to do. The vaccines are getting out there, and hopefully we are starting to see some progress made toward the light at the end of the tunnel with coronavirus, where this becomes uh, something, you know, manageable, much like, you know, the flu or, you know, other uh, diseases that have been put into check through medical science and so forth. So, you know, we're making progress, and that's a good thing, and we celebrate that. All right, let's get into what we're going to talk about in this show. And what we're going to talk about is uh, the... Uh, aftermath of the impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump, uh, which concluded on Saturday, 
this just past Saturday uh, here in the U.S. Uh, and to no one's shock or surprise, Donald Trump was acquitted of the single count of the impeachment uh, incitement to insurrection uh, for his role in uh, getting the attack on the Capitol January 6th uh, to to happen and to be as you know bloody and devastating as it was. Uh, before we dive into that in more deep detail, let me offer something for your consideration as we have this conversation. So, something to understand or something to to take note of. We've often heard over the course of the last month or so, uh, particularly in terms of the impeachment. Uh, we've heard the terms truth and facts stated, you know, many times in the media, uh, in social media, you know, in, in all of the elements of communication out there. Uh, and, and something to understand, truth can be subjective. Facts never are. Truth and fact are often interchanged, yet they are distinctly different. If we look at and examine their definitions, uh, we can see what the differences between truth and fact uh, really are. So, you know, if we go to the dictionary, and in this case, we're going to use the Merriam-Webster dictionary, uh, the definition of truth, according to Merriam-Webster, is the body of real things, events, and facts. Uh, it is the state of being the case. It is a judgment proposition or idea that is true or accepted as true and is the body of true statements and propositions and the property as of a statement of being in accord with fact or reality. So, you know, again, you can, you can kind of get a taste for why the statement I made is that truth can be subjective, uh, you know, especially when you compare it with the definition of fact. Fact is something that has actual existence. It is an actual occurrence. It is a piece of information presented as having objective reality, and it is the quality of being actual. So while the definitions may sound similar, the distinctions uh, between the two uh, really are, are evident. Truth should be based on underlying facts. The key word there is the word should. Facts, when they're real, are based on actuality or reality. So in, in plain speak, that means uh, truth can be based on fact or it can be based on an interpretation of fact. Um, so, and, and here's another comparison. And this one I got from the website uh, differencebetween.com. So you can go there and, and check it out. Uh, what is the difference between facts and truths? Uh, and they say, and they cite, a fact is collected information. Truth, on the other hand, is the validity of collected fact. This is the main difference between the two terms, facts and truths. Facts can be arrived at by logical conclusions, too. On the other hand, truth are not arrived at by legal, by, I'm sorry, by logical conclusions or assumptions. A truth, on the other hand, has to be either seen or experienced to prove its validity. Facts can be more statistic. I'm sorry. Facts can be mere statistical data. 
truths cannot be statistical data for that matter. While truths are universal in nature, facts cannot be universal in nature. A truth is a truth anywhere in the world. The same cannot be said of facts. One of the primary differences between facts and truths is that facts are more objective in their nature, whereas truths are more subjective in comparison. And compared to facts, truths can be momentary. That is, they can only apply or they may only apply within a given moment in time or location in time and space. So, you know, as you can see, you know, and, and as we stated earlier, the terms are frequently interchanged, uh, usually when it's convenient for the speaker or presenter based on their set of beliefs. Now, it's not my place as the host of this show to enter a judgment as to which way is right or wrong, even if I have a belief one way or another. So, you know, where am I going with this? Well, my point is this. The impeachment trial just completed is actually an illustrative lesson uh, comparing truth and facts. Now, before you panic, I'm not going to argue or relitigate the impeachment here. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, however, I have watched, you know, Perry Mason, Matlock, Law and Order, Boston Legal, you know, and, and you know, many more shows, which proves nothing else than the fact that I probably watched way too much television over the years. But seriously, if you or I as a lay person watched the trial last week, what you saw was a clear definition or a clear uh, difference between hard fact and subjective truth. What do I mean by that? Well, the House managers, in presenting their case, followed the timeline of events, both public and behind the scenes, including video, audio, and written, you know, in the form of tweets and other social media, leading up to, during, and after the events of the 6th of January. The defense counsel presented a subjective, in my opinion, argument of their truth, arguing against the House case. As many in the public sphere have noted, the defense team was uh, soundly outlawed by their House opponents. Uh, so, you know, if you had only the trial as your point of reference to the events that led up to the January 6th attack on the Capitol building, uh, it, it, could be, it could be inferred and it would seem that the case against the former president was clear and a guilty verdict would be the logical conclusion. However, such a verdict was never really possible. There was not a real chance that 17 or more Republicans would vote to convict. Uh, this was common knowledge and publicly stated. The game was rigged from the moment the House voted to impeach. But because the House majority had voted to impeach, the Senate had to, by law, try the case. But other than the oath all 100 senators swore to, quote, do impartial justice, close quote, uh, there's no guiding law as to how they could vote. Uh, consider that in a criminal case, for instance, the case is handed to the jury by the judge for deliberation. As part of that handover, the judge will instruct jurors on how they must deliberate to reach a verdict. Such instruction will often include the key points and applicable law that they must use to decide. However, the judge does not give them an expected outcome. 
only the mechanics of how they must arrive at their verdict one way or another. In the impeachment trial, there were no similar instructions given, no boundaries or limits as to what is outside the applicable law. They could essentially wing it, and we ended up with a predestined outcome. So as I said earlier, truth can be subjective. Facts never are. And now we have a better idea. Now we know to at least some extent what that looks like. And again, I, you know, I need to mention that if you looked at the trial of, you know, the, the conduct of the trial for the impeachment, and that was your only point of reference as to what happened uh, on the date January 6th, 2021, you know, the, the evidence that was presented and the way it was presented and how it was defended against would lead you to, you know, perhaps a logical conclusion that uh, the former president was in fact guilty of the article that he was impeached for. And, you know, in part, this is due to who actually was adjudicating this case in the Senate. On the House side, you had the House managers uh, presenting the case to the senators. These nine individuals were, are all you know, seating, sitting representatives uh, in the House of Representatives in Washington, and, you know, as such are, you know, intimately familiar with, you know, not only the, the Constitution, but the processes uh, of the Constitution, and to a certain extent, the processes of impeachment. Uh, at least one of them was involved in the prior impeachment of Donald Trump, and knew how the process worked and how the protocol uh, would flow and so forth. On the other side of the aisle, uh, the president's defense team were not you know, constitutional lawyers, they were trial court lawyers. And as you saw in the, the, the trial itself, they approached it much as they would in any civilian court of law uh, where you know they had certain rules of evidence and rules of criminal process and rules of procedures that they were used to following that really didn't apply in an impeachment trial. The, the trial conducted for an impeachment is governed by the, the statutes set out in the Constitution and are also governed by a set of rules which are drafted, debated, and approved prior to the start of the impeachment trial by both sides. So, you know, there, there is a, only a, a functional uh, link between how a criminal trial uh, or a civil trial in, in civilian court would play out and how the trial enduring an impeachment is operated and, and handled in the Senate. And we saw on a couple of occasions where defense counsel uh, you know, objected during some statements, um, you know, approached some of the, the rebuttal uh, as an attack on the House managers and really argued more of the process uh, of the impeachment rather than the facts of the impeachment. Uh, 
we did not see a whole lot of dissection of the events that happened on January 6th. We did see a whole lot of uh, arguments against how the impeachment trial was moving forward, uh, the conduct and content of things that the House managers were presenting, which were well within the rules, but which were outside of the experience uh, of these lawyers for the president uh, were, were used to operating under. And, you know, I think that, too, played into the optics of it looked like the House managers had presented an overwhelming uh, and undefensible case uh, which you know many pundits and you know news shows have have said over the last 48 hours that they did. Uh, they actually, as one um, guest on a news show said, uh, it actually looked like a constitutional law masterclass uh, was being conducted. Um, now that's not to take anything too much away from the councils for the defense. Uh, they are, they were both or all three of them were highly respected, uh, highly trained and highly talented lawyers. It's just that they were not used to uh, the, the, the ocean of constitutional impeachment, you know, procedures and rules, because uh, that's not what they do every day. Whereas a sitting member of Congress uh, they're engaged with the Constitution on a regular basis. Uh, it, it is the rules that they, they work by. It's how they get done what they do. So, you know, it, it's true that the House managers did uh, outperform the Council for the Defense. Uh, however, in, in, no pun intended, in defense of the defense, uh, they really were in somewhat handicapped uh, in that you know their their lack of you know lengthy familiarity uh, with the constitutional process at the Senate level. You know all lawyers you know have to know and understand the Constitution. It forms the framework uh, that they work in. I'm not saying that they did not know the Constitution. What they were less uh, in, in, in informed about or less familiar with the better term was the impeachment process, uh, the rules that govern impeachment, the fact that there really isn't in the Constitution or in the subsequent supporting documents such as the Federalist Papers, there isn't a whole lot of detailed information on how an impeachment trial is conducted. Uh, it, it's clear in the Constitution when an, an elected official uh, or a civil officer uh, can be impeached and should be impeached. It's clear in the Constitution about what the role of the House and the role of the Senate is. But what's not clear is a set of legal practices that gets followed in an impeachment. What we now come to to rely on and you know there, there have been six impeachments in the history of the united states now is the the precedent of prior impeachments 
to kind of guide and govern how an impeachment trial is conducted. So, you know, it, it, it really is kind of a freewheeling process, uh, you know, evidenced by, you know, in, in, in the time after closing arguments or after the, the House managers and the defense had rested, new evidence was brought in in the form of uh, testimony uh, that was sought from another member of Congress uh, with regard to a conversation that was held between uh, minority leader uh, Kevin McCarthy and President Trump on the day of the insurrection where you know McCarthy called the president uh, you know begging him you know pleading with him to send help for the Capitol Police and to issue a statement to his supporters uh, calling upon them to to cease all violence and to go home um, the president took the position that at, at first that the the protesters the insurgents were members of Antifa to which Kevin McCarthy replied no they're your people Mr. President you've got to call them off you've got to tell them to stop and you know President Trump gave kind of a flippant reply stating that well I guess you know they're more concerned about the election than you are at which point uh, Kevin McCarthy lost his temper and you know said a few choice words to the president uh, before he had to go because they were they were uh, hustling him out of the building for his own safety as the mob were actually hunting down members of Congress uh, and the vice president uh, with with threats of serious harm and death so they brought you know that information in after both sides had rested there was some debate and discussion on whether or not to bring the congressperson in as a witness uh, it was getting into uh, back and forth over how many witnesses might be called uh, and as they've said in subsequent interviews, the House managers realized that it was not a battle they needed to fight. Uh, they had made their case and their opinion. They had put all of the, the relevant facts in front of the jurors, in, in this case the senators, uh, for their case and adding additional witnesses and days of, you know, of, of subpoena and testimony and all of that really wouldn't advance them anywhere in their in their position so you know they they agreed the two sides agreed to enter the statements into the record and leave it at that um, you know uh, again you can you can look at it that uh, there was really a general sense uh, on you know both sides to kind of get this this trial done uh, from the Republican side uh, and from the Democrats. Both sides thought that, you know, they had done what they needed to do and that it was time to, to vote and move on. Now, as we'll talk about when we come back after the break, we're going to talk about how that vote uh, turned out, how it played out, and, you know, what is the future now that the uh, Trump impeachment or the second uh, Trump impeachment 
is history. We'll be right back after we take this quick break. You're listening to Fire It Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. And welcome back. We're back here to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. And uh, we pick it up kind of where we left off. Um, just, you know, just to kind of put it out there, as, as many of you might know, uh, in part because I've, I've mentioned it, you know, once or twice or 20 times uh, in this forum, uh, I spend each week between the shows, you know, this show airs on Mondays. Uh, and I spend the week between show airings preparing for the next show that I'm going to do. Um, you know, I, I wish, but don't have uh, resources like the big boy networks, you know, the Foxes, CNNs, ABC, NBC, CBS, and, and even the others like OANN, Musemax, and other podcasters out there who, you know, put content out. Uh, around politics and news. Uh, I don't have a, a huge team uh, of staff that you know follow the news, uh, bring the stories that fit the format of the show and so on and so forth. Uh, it's just little old me. Uh, and I record my shows you know typically on the Saturday or Sunday prior to their airing in part you know because the volume of sources that I do reference, uh, a few of which I just mentioned, but including, you know, several print and online sources uh, that I use uh, to verify the facts of, of what I want to present to you each week. Uh, and also, you know, just because the news is now a 24-7, 365 machine that, you know, I often need to wait until the 11th hour to try and get, you know, the full story and get to the root of what I want to bring to you. I mean, my goal, you know, as I, I stated above, my goal is to bring you the facts um, and allow you to base your truth upon what I present to you. So, you know, this week uh, was, you know, particularly crazy in that we had 32 hours scheduled for the impeachment trial. And, you know, I needed to and wanted to watch a, as much of that as I could could fit in just so that I saw with my own eyes and ears what transpired so that I can have, you know, hopefully 
this intelligent conversation with all of you. So, you know, going through that process, uh, witnessing the second impeachment trial of the 45th president of the United States, uh, the end result by a vote of 40, uh, 57 to 43, guilty to not guilty respectively, uh, the 45th president uh, was acquitted of the single charge of the impeachment uh, in inciting to, ex to insurrection. So, you know, obviously, once you get to the end point of such an event, uh, the questions that start to flow, you know, what does this vote mean? Uh, does it mean that the attack on the Capitol did not happen? No, this was not a trial to, to prove or disprove that. Does the vote signal that uh, he's to be forgiven for the role he played, uh, the action he did or did not take, or the brutal and bloody consequences of that day? No, uh, it, is, it is not to uh, assess uh, blame. It is merely to uh, get to the bottom, to get the answer, and to vote to acquit or convict on the charge of the impeachment. Uh, did you know the former president of the United States uh, incite a crowd to go to the Capitol to, to break in, to you know, create chaos and violence, uh, to threaten elected officials, including the vice president of the United States with injury and or death, to injure you know, more than 140 people, uh, including the death of a Capitol Police officer and, and numerous other serious injuries that were incurred. Uh, you know, it, it was really just to assess, did the simple question, did the President of the United States at the time uh, incite, encourage, and basically you know, arm and push that crowd to go to the Capitol and do what we all watched happen in real time? Uh, and, and these questions are part of what I want to talk about uh, as we, we go into this segment. Uh, but before we go there, I want to reflect uh, kind of out of sequence, but I think it's important uh, to, to understand this because it goes to the heart of, of one of the things that I want to talk about. Uh, is What I want to reflect on is that on Saturday, uh, shortly after the vote was concluded, uh, both the majority and minority leaders addressed the Senate uh, with their thoughts and comments on what had just transpired. Now, the majority leader, Senator Chuck Schumer, uh, obviously uh, reiterated you know, the, the contention of the case that, in fact, uh, the former president did incite the crowd to, to riot and to violence and to the insurrection. Uh, and, you know, laid out, you know, the, the events and timeline that happened and so forth, even though the vote had just to, to the vote had just occurred to acquit him of, you know, basically doing that. You know, it, it yes, you can acquit him of the charge, but it doesn't change the fact that the insurrection did happen. There was damage done. There were people injured. There were, you know, officers, police officers uh, killed or died as a result of the insurrection. 
None of those facts uh, go away just because the former president was acquitted. What I really wanted to talk about were the comments that were made by minority leader uh, McConnell, who took to the floor after the majority leader, as is protocol, and basically, uh, in his speech, McConnell laid moral and practical accountability on the former president and clearly blamed the 45th president for the results of his actions and words in the weeks and months leading up to January 6th, stating that the events that occurred were predictable and expected, as well as known and understood by the former president on the 6th when he gave his rally speech. What is most striking about what McConnell said is that if you listen to what he said but did not know what the verdict was, his comments sounded like he was addressing a guilty party rather than remarks given by someone who had just voted not to convict. So it bears asking to Republicans why, if you believe that the former president did in fact do the things he was impeached for, would Minority Leader McConnell or any Republican that felt the same vote or that felt the same vote to acquit? Some Republicans, you know, have, have stated on the record that they didn't believe that the procedure was constitutional, but yet there was an initial Senate vote at the start of the trial uh, ended that premise by uh, a majority vote um, saying that the impeachment trial was constitutional, that is, it was governed by uh, rules and, and text in the Constitution. Uh, and in, in, my opinion, in my opinion, you know, making that statement that the, the trial was unconstitutional is an insufficient reason for the outcome of the vote. Uh, you know, as I said in the, in the first segment, if you watched the trial, uh, and that was the only reference you had to the events on January 6th, uh, it would be clear to you know, most reasonable people that in fact the president had done what he was accused of doing. Um, you know, but it raises the questions, what more do the Republicans fear or what other elements you know, could be at play? You know, if, for example, if the Senate had voted with a two-thirds mar margin, which they needed to convict, uh, there was still a subsequent vote that would need to be taken to disqualify as a potential last stopgap in terms of, you know, not laying a, a punishment on the former president. Um, this really when you think about it and when you consider all of the rhetoric you heard leading up to the impeachment and while the impeachment was in fact going on, that it really was never an option. Uh, only a majority vote would be needed in order to disqualify the former president from holding elected office at any point in the future. As it's been frequently mentioned in the mainstream media and other media sources, uh, Perhaps Republicans hold a fear of the former president and or his base with regard to the success or failure to get reelected. That fear includes accounting for the possibility of him running again in 2024 
along with a political calculation uh, of the value of the MAGA world base to their campaigns. Uh, we're going to dive into that uh, in future shows in more detail uh, as more of the dust settles from the impeachment and also as we see uh, going forward uh, what happens in terms of the former president's uh, ambitions and intentions, uh, not only you know, in the longer goal toward 2024, but also what the potential impacts are shaping up to be for the midterms that would be coming in 2022. So you know, at, as that political or pot and potential impact becomes clearer, uh, we'll dive into it here on this show. So it, it's something that you know, stick a pin in. We're going to come back and revisit this over the course of, you know, this year. And as we move into the more heated campaign season for the midterms. But for now, let's just stipulate that that fear is real. All right. For the sake of argument, let's just say that there is a real fear by Republicans uh, of what actions the former president is going to take. Uh, whether it is against the seven Republicans who joined with Democrats to vote to convict, or uh, it is, you know, in, in regard to the Republican Party in general for, in, in the eyes of the former president, not being, quote, loyal enough, close quote, uh, in their actions, words, and deeds uh, as he went through this uh, impeachment process. Uh, let's also, you know, put it to the side that, you know, there are outside elements that could play a role in what paths the former president has going into the future. So, you know, we're, we'll table for now that, you know, he faces a boatload of legal issues both at the, uh, the state and, and federal level that, you know, might render him, you know, unavailable to hold office in the next four years. Uh, he may be otherwise occupied, uh, you know, within the, the criminal justice system here in the United States. But that being said, and, and like I've mentioned many times, you know, on this show, Republicans in their actions and in their, their considerations, they play a long game. They, they look long periods down the road and do the calculus to determine what actions taken now are going to impact future uh, actions and needs of the Republicans uh, going forward. Uh, so, you know, if we look at what was done in terms of the vote uh, for impeachment, along with what we hear coming out of the media with regard to how the Republicans are responding to the Biden agenda and to the things that the new administration is trying to get done, it would seem that they have and they are weighing the value of having an ineligible Donald Trump approaching the 2024 general election. The impact of having him be a martyr to his base because not all Republicans uh, were loyal versus having him being, you know, just being more the same person he was during his administration with 
you know, his rep reputation dented, but not broken. Uh, there's no doubt that uh, as a, a political figure, Donald Trump is damaged goods, uh, similar in fashion to how the public considered Richard Nixon, you know, after Watergate and, you know, after he resigned, uh, he always had that black mark after his name as Donald Trump will always have, you know, the, the marks of being the only president in American history to be impeached twice, even though he was not convicted, he was still the only president to be impeached uh, twice in, in one term. And if you look at it, he joins, you know, Bill Clinton as, you know, the, the result of three impeachment trials, none of which ended in a conviction. So, you know, we can talk about and we can debate what that means in terms of the, the role of impeachment in terms of holding an elected official in general and in particular a president of the United States accountable for their actions. You can raise the question of, you know, does it actually work? Uh, you know, and we can have that discussion and we probably will at some point down the road. But for right now, the, the current batch of Republicans are looking with a very careful eye as to how the, the MAGA world uh, base and the Republican voters respond to the events of this weekend. And, you know, I suspect that over the course of the coming weeks and months, uh, there's going to be a lot of polling and discussion and contemplation in the media and in the news world, as well as in the political circles over what the, you know, impeachment for the second time of Donald Trump means to the Republican Party. As, as I've talked about in prior shows, uh, there is little doubt that there is a fracture that is starting to show up in the Republican Party, particularly now that, that you know, Donald Trump is a former president, uh, does not hold the office or wield the political power of the presidency. Uh, what is still being felt out, what is still being assessed is what is the extent of his post-president uh, or post-presidency uh, power in, in terms of influencing Republican politics in this country. For now, he is still considered the leader of the Republican Party. And, you know, you could be free to debate what exactly that means, given his reputation uh, and the fact that it has suffered such a, a tremendous blow, you know, because of the, the two impeachments, because of all of the controversies that followed him through his presidency. You know, it, it is still a, a fact that uh, Donald Trump is, in fact, a force to be reckoned with in the Republican Party, uh, is still uh, a power player in that group. Uh, the only questions that are out there uh, is exactly, you know, what does that mean and what kind of muscle is he going to flex going forward? So, you know, right now, I mean, as of, you know, this broadcast, uh, we have not heard uh, a whole lot out of the former president. Um, you know, there, there was uh, one 
senator who did say that he got a, uh, an email from the former president saying that he was, he was feeling fine and, you know, uh, looking forward to what is going to come. But other than that, we've not heard any political statements. We've not heard any, you know, comments or, or statements or releases on what the future holds. Uh, he is, you know, right now, as I said, one, keep in mind, he's only been out of office uh, just barely a month. Uh, it will be a month again in a few days. Uh, so we're, we're still in the early stages of all of this. So, you know, like anyone else, you know, he needs time to digest, reflect, and decide on what his future path is going to be. You know, is he going to form another political party, uh, perhaps with an eye toward a run for the presidency in 2024? Uh, or is he going to go into the media world and, you know, um, build, uh, buy, build, or acquire uh, a media base from which he can, you know, a la Rush Limbaugh or, you know, any one of, you know, a hundred other uh, political uh, pundits uh, provide a, a platform for his message through some form of the media. So, you know, right now, those are still open questions. Uh, obviously, we will keep an eye on it and let you know what happens. And only time will bring us a definitive answer uh, or provide proof, uh, not only of what Donald Trump is going to do in the future, but also as we get more information out of the Republican Senate, uh, what the reason they voted as they did. Uh, one thing I, I will say that I do know, and, and one thing that I will stress, and we will continue to, to talk on this subject as we go forward through the, the, the weeks and months as we move through 2021, uh, is that, you know, importantly, it is up to us to judge the Republican Party for what appears to be some very real hypocrisy in this matter. Again, McConnell stood up there after the vote was concluded not to convict and basically said that, you know, Donald Trump did it. So, you know, the, the question I pose to you out there is this. Can you accept and live with a party that puts politics above people. Uh, remember, it, remember how long it took for COVID relief uh, to get to the people for a, a second time after the initial uh, relief went out in March. It wasn't until nearly the end of December when the second COVID relief package went out under the Republican leadership in the government. Um, and it's, you know, they control the executive and, you know, one half of the legislative branch of the government. They had the majority in place to push for relief and to push it through, but chose to hold it hostage for political points and party gains. So, you know, as the voters, uh, particularly for those of you out there who vote Republican, that's a hard question that you're going to need to, to consider and think about uh, because the impacts of this, this pandemic, whether it's the actual you know, illness, the death, uh, or the economic impacts, the shutdowns, 
the impacts to our schools, the impacts to our children, the impacts to our elderly. Uh, all of this occurred on the Republican watch in, in our government. Uh, granted, that phase has closed that we are now in a Democratic government. And as Democrats, you will need also to make sure that you're paying close attention to hold the Democratic leadership accountable for what happens going forward. They have the control now. Uh, so we can't blame what happens after the 20th of January on you know, a, a Republican president or a Republican-led Senate because we don't have those anymore. So our role remains as it always has been. To, to be aware, to be educated, to dig for the facts, to dig deeper and dig wider, as I say so many times, to make sure that we understand what is going on and how our political leaders at every level are handling the business that we send them into those elected offices to do. And I'd really love to, to get feedback from the audience out there. Um, if you have an opinion on it, you know, one way or the other, you know, whether it's Republican or Democrat, please send email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, I'm going to be posting a couple of links regarding the impeachment vote out on the webpage, they, on the Facebook page, rather. They will be available by the time this show airs, so you'll have that. And I will continue to post other information that uh, comes in the interim between shows on my page so that you can get you know, that information uh, to you. I urge you to go to Facebook, look up Fired Up Radio, uh, like and subscribe to the page so that you get you know, automatic updates. I will also tweet out information through the Twitter account which is fired, which is um, at are you fired up on Twitter. And as always, you know, I say if you want to communicate with the show, send an email, firedupradio at yahoo.com. I love to get your emails. I look forward to reading them. And, you know, hopefully we can have some big debate upon them. If you have questions, I'll be glad to research and get your answers. So, that being said, that's going to wrap up our show for this week. Uh, thank you all, as always, for listening. Please, please, please stay safe out there. Yes, we have vaccines, but not everybody is vaccinated. So we still need to do our part to keep ourselves, our family, our community, and our country safe. As always, I appreciate you. Uh, stay tuned. We will be discussing this more in the coming weeks. And with that in mind, I will talk to you again in seven days. Wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman 
Calling every man We're the generation We can't afford to wait The future started yesterday And we're already late